Welcome to the City Grace Summer Breakout Sessions. Session 7, The Three Dimensions of Relationships. Welcome to session seven. Um, we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and following Jesus. And one of the main ways that we can uh, distinguish Christianity from anything else is that really at its core, fundamentally, Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's not even a set of beliefs, although clearly um, following Jesus Jesus claims to be the truth, and there are beliefs to be learned, there are truths to be learned. But fundamentally, at its heart, Christianity is about a relationship. And the good news of the gospel is that through what Jesus has done, a relationship with God himself is possible. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are invited to know God and to experience God and to engage in the creator of the universe. That's part of what the gospel is all about. Relationship is at the core of it. Uh, this passage from Hebrews um, explains really wonderfully what the implications for this are. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. If you have your Bibles, you can read along or just follow up on the screen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God and with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In ancient Israel, there was a temple and the temple had a courtyard, which was, um, there was an outer courtyard and there was an inner courtyard. And then there was the temple itself, which only the priest could go into. But then in the back of the temple, at the very heart of the temple was what was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that was the place where the high priest was only allowed to go in there once a year. Uh, It was understood that the presence of God was right there in the Holy of Holies, the sacred room that no Israelite ever saw except for the high priest and only once a year. But the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that average people like you and me, sinful people, broken people, through what Jesus has done, the the curtain has been torn open and God welcomes us into that most holy place, that place of relationship, that place of intimacy with the Father, that place of connection and dialogue with the Father. Through prayer, we can speak to God. Through the Holy Spirit, we can listen to God and hear from God, and God leads us. Um, that, is, that is relationship. That's what the gospel has created for us, um, the possibility of us being able to, to have a relationship with God. So relationship is critical in the Bible, and it's all about a relationship with God, and this plays out in other relationships as well. So what we're going to be talking about tonight is what exactly are not only our relationship with God, but the other relationships we're called into as people who are following Jesus. What is that about, and how do we hold those relationships in balance with each other. And so 
I want to introduce to you the triangle. The triangle, I didn't invent this. Um, a lot of what I'm going to be sharing tonight, just to, as a um, disclaimer, comes from a book by Mike Breen called Building a Discipling Culture at Your Church, and that's been fairly influ- influential for me as I think about discipleship. Um, the triangle of discipleship. So there's three dimensions of relationships, all right? We have the up, the in, and the out. The up represents the relationship that we have with God. So this is the heart of following Jesus, is developing that up relationship. Um, It's the vertical dimension of our lives. It's connecting with God, connecting with Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's seeking God. Last week we talked about prayer and about entering into the secret place. That's the up relationship, is talking with God. It's about who we, it's about embracing who God has made us to be as his sons and daughters, right? So that's the up, but then there's also the in. And the in represents the relationships that um, believers or followers of Jesus have with fellow disciples. So this is community, this is fellowship, this is breaking bread together, this is accountability, this is confession. Um, The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. And so the idea is that you and I, on our own, although we can be filled with the Spirit, that really the fullness of God is experienced within the, the temple. And you and I are building blocks to that temple. So corporately, as a community, the Spirit dwells in us. We become the temple of God. But that um, horizontal aspect, that connection, the connections we have with fellow disciples are critical. And that's what the inn is about. Now, you'll notice, of course, that the up and the in, you can't really separate the two. So the up plays into what the in looks like, and the in, of course, plays into what the up looks like. Then they affect each other. And that's true um, with the other three dimensions as well. So we have the in, which is the relationships um, between disciples and in, in Christian community or discipleship community. And then we have the out. So as I've been, all of the discipleship that we've been doing here, everything that we've been talking about has been building up to this idea that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, um, is about the love of God being received, but then also passed, passed out. And this happens through living missionally, living sacrificially, and ultimately loving our neighbors. And clearly, the in and the out are connected because the out is best done with a strong in. So if there's a strong in, strong fellowship and connection between believers, then the believers are able to offer not only their own lives as sacrifices, but to offer a community to the world. Um, you see, of course, that the up and the out are very important and are very, um, there's a strong relationship between the up and the out. Uh, when, a, when a disciple of Jesus goes to love and to serve and to live missionally, they're not, in a sense, just offering themselves, but really what they're offering is God. And their hope is to be able to bring God's love to whoever it is that they're serving or reaching out to, um, not merely helping a, in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. So all three of these relationships are interconnected. They impact each other. And we need a firm balance of the in, the up, and the out. Um, I want to sort of walk through an example of how we see the balance in the lives of two different people in the Bible, first Moses and then Jesus. So Moses was the leader who was responsible for bringing the disciples up out of slavery in Egypt. Um, Moses was a leader. 
Moses had an incredible, incredible responsibility and weight that was on his shoulders because here was this huge population of Jews that were living in slavery in Egypt and uh, Moses had to go and to be their leader and to bring them up out of, uh, out of slavery. And this is thousands and thousands of people. And we know that Moses, of all the people in the Old Testament, had a very, very strong up dynamic. He had intense, uh, an intense relationship with God. He prayed God fervently. He spent time with God. And there's this great passage that sort of describes the up that Moses had. And I'll tell you, if I could have what, this up that Moses has, I, I, I would, I would, uh, it would be amazing. So from Exodus 33, 9 through 11, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So at various times in the Exodus narrative, you know, Moses is this man with this incredible responsibility, this incredible job, and we see him continually going up to the mountain to be with Lord. We see him wrestling with God, engaging God in prayer. And we see that God blesses this. And uh, there is even a story about how when Moses comes down from the mountain or he comes out of this tent, his face is, is so aglow with the glory of God that he has to put a veil over his head in order to protect the people around him. So Moses clearly is, is developing the up. He's working on the up. He's focusing on the up. However, um, with Moses, in a couple different ways, we also see a strong in component. Um, you remember, if you're familiar with the story, that when God meets Moses at the burning bush and tells him what he hopes to do with him, Moses' response is, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. Don't send me. And so Moses, from the very beginning, is very intimidated by the role that God has played for him. He's overwhelmed by it. He's terrified of public speaking. So Moses needs the in in order to gain the strength and the courage that he needs to be able to do his job. He needs that fellowship. He needs that partnership. And so God sends with Moses his brother Aaron, who serves as uh, Moses' mouthpiece. So Moses is like the brain. Aaron is the mouth. Moses hears from the Lord, and the Lord tells Moses what to do. Moses, in turn, has his partnership with his brother, Aaron, and his, his brother Aaron serves as the priest, and his Aaron is the mouthpiece, is the spokesperson, because apparently Moses had a, had a, a fear of public speaking, um, as I do as well sometimes. Um, we also see, of course, that Moses, even in this passage, he has a young aide. He has Joshua that's by his side. And there's another interesting account that you can read about in Exodus 18, where Moses is so overwhelmed with all his responsibilities, he's judging the entire population on his own. So anytime there's a dispute among the Israelites, they come to Moses to get it sorted out. And his brother Jethro, or his brother-in-law Jethro, comes to him and says, Moses, you can't do all this alone. You can't... Oh, yeah, what did I say? Yes, sorry, his father-in-law. Thank you. His father-in-law comes to him and says, you can't do this all alone. You need people that, that you can delegate to. And so that also forms a sort of extended community. Um, and Moses is not just working alone. He, of course, has this fellowship. He has the in. And then Moses has a very strong out as well. Uh, his out is to minister to God's people, to lead them out of slavery, and to lead them 
through the wilderness and into the promised land. So you can see the three dynamics in Moses. Um, we also see the three dynamics at work in the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus, we had a pattern in his life of strong, a strong up. Jesus oftentimes would separate himself from all the responsibilities that were pressing in on him. He would uh, leave the disciples and he would go into the secret place that I talked about last week. He would go into the secret place and that meant that it was just him and his father on a mountaintop or in a desert. And he would commune with God. He would pray. He would talk. He would listen. Um, we understand. I think we, we need to understand that that was part of the way that Jesus um, received the strength that he had, part of the way that he engaged with God and, and received direction for what he was supposed to do and knowledge about what was going to happen was through him um, constantly engaging his father, being a son, carving out time amidst the incredible responsibilities that he had to, to be with his father. So it was an incredible priority for him. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then in Luke six twelve, we see uh, one of those days, Jesus went up out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So that's the up for Jesus. Now in this passage in Luke, it's interesting because you can see the up and the in and the out happen all sort of connected to each other, all very closely together. Um, next, Jesus goes up on the mountainside to pray and then he comes down and establishes his disciples. He chooses his 12 disciples. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus has his relationship with his father, but he also has a close fellowship um, he has people that he shares life with. He eats with them. He sleeps with them. He uh, w- roams the countryside with them. They're sharing an experience together. He's teaching them and guiding them along the way. So that's the, that's the in for Jesus. And this included others as well. It wasn't just the 12 disciples, but it was sort of like his extended family. Then, um, immediately after Jesus, he prays. He goes and, and picks his 12 disciples. And then, the next passage... Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, immediately after that, we see the out. He went down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed by their diseases. Um, Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So there you have it as well. Jesus, of course, has his ministry, his calling, which is to bring God's healing and his life and his, his light uh, into the world through Jesus. The in, the up, and the out. Now, I want to um, discuss real briefly sort of what happens when one of these dynamics is missing from our lives or what happens when one of these dynamics is missing from our church life. Um, an imbalance occurs. So a lot of churches are good at maybe two of these, but struggle in a third. And you can see how when you're missing any one of these dynamics, it's uh, somewhat of a liability. So let me ask you, what do you think about a church that has a strong up and a strong in, but is lacking the out? 
What's going to happen in a community like that? Any thoughts? Be, become kind of insular and forgotten? What do you mean forgotten? Like in the community as a whole. So the community is not really going to know that they're there? Like a, like a mon- monastery. Well, kind of like a monastery? Sort okay. Of argue against that though in a lot of ways because monasteries do a lot of good. But True. I, don't know, I guess like a hermitage or something. A hermitage. A hermitage. City Grace Hermitage. What's missing in a church that doesn't have the out? And what's going to happen to a church that doesn't have the out? It's not going to grow? Okay. A church that doesn't have the out is going to become self-focused. It's going to become a country club. It's going to be a place where people come to have great relationships and get their needs met. But it's not going to be a church that is is experiencing the transforming power of the gospel or experiencing the movement of the Spirit because they're not allowing God to, to, to take that love that He's given them and then to motivate them to move out into the world through loving and serving. It's a church that will eventually shrink up and die. And you, if you read Acts and you see the times in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes on the people of God in power, it almost always is in close connection with a missional movement. It's the Spirit comes on people for bold witness. It comes on the Spirit during evangelism. It comes, uh, the Holy Spirit comes in power when people are doing the out, when they're living, living the out. The Spirit motivates that and empowers that. Now, what about, next slide. What about a church that has a strong in and out, but lacks the up? What does that look like? <laughs> if there's no up, the in might not be that good. Yeah. 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 If there's no up, it's probably not a church. If there's no up, it's probably not a church? Yeah. <laughs> I think we have a special term for this. It's called a business. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a church. Or, yeah, or a, a business or maybe a, like a non-profit of some sort. But, yeah. If there's no up, there's, the heart's not there, right? Then the end becomes merely a collection of people who kind of like share the same culture or share an interest. And it's great that they're doing the out, but... The out without the up is really not going to make a long-term impact in a deep way. We might, you might have a church that's great at service and great at reaching out to the community, but ultimately, if it's not a community that's being transformed by the up, transformed by the gospel, and transformed by the Spirit, what they're offering is really not any different from what any other sort of community development organization might be offering. And it's not going to be effective at pointing, Jesus, or pointing, pointing people to the cross. At all. Um, how, next slide. How about a church that has the up and the out, but lacks the in? What happens then? It could be a big church, yeah. People get burned out. That's a, that's a great point, actually. People get burned out because they're serving and they're trying to love God, but they're missing out on one of the key ways that God ministers to us, which is through each other. And God shares his love to us, which is through the love of the community and the support of the community. Um, in Acts, we see that the disciples had everything in common. They provided for each other's needs. They met together. They encouraged each other. We're going to talk more about what, what that all involves later. But yeah, it's a church that, that really... Well, and here's another, here's another thing. How can you do the out if you don't have a strong in? 
right? Because really, what are you inviting people into if there isn't a strong community that's in place of people who love and care for each other? You might be trying to reach out, but when you invite them to be a part of what you're doing, then they're going to come and be like, hey, there, there isn't actually anything here for, for me to be a part of. So, yeah, so that's, that's no good. <laughs> so, moving on then, let's talk a little bit about, any other comments on that? I'm going to talk a little bit more in detail now about what the up, the in, and the out involve. So, the in, or the up, focusing on the up. Um, one of the biggest problems that we face sort of in, in the modern world and probably in our experience in our culture is that we are a community focused on doing. A, or not, we're a culture focused on doing, a culture focused on performance and achievement. Um, oftentimes when we think about who we are, we're very quick to say what our job is, as if that answers the question. So you could ask me, you know, who are you? What, what are you? And I would say, well, I'm a pastor. But really, being a pastor is something I do, but it's not, it's not necessarily the core of, of who I am. So uh, in, a, in, a, in a culture where we're so focused on doing it and so focused on accomplishment, prayer and developing the up almost seem like a waste of time because on the surface, it seems like prayer doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't help us towards being more fruitful. It might seem like a waste of time. We'd rather be doing. We'd rather be active. And yet, this misses a very important truth that the Bible wants to communicate to us, which is that at the end of the day, being who we are comes primary over doing. Who we are is more important than what we do. We're human beings, not human doings. And so developing the up is about learning who you are. It's about connecting with God and embracing your identity. Um, a great passage that sort of describes a little bit about the up is John 15. Next slide. Jesus said, um, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vance in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're encouraged to prioritize being over doing. Um, if we don't do that, we get burnt out by our drivenness and our achievement orientation. We focus too much on our accomplishments. Instead of realizing that God, um, for example, in his command to observe Sabbath, wants us to be able to take a rest from all of our doing, all of our activities, and to simply focus on being. And that's what Sabbath is about. It's about resting from activity in order to be able to connect with the Father, to worship, and to realize, to realize who we are and who God has made us to be. So the up is all about communing with your Heavenly Father. It's about prayer. It's about drinking deeply of His love. The up includes things like having personal devotions or quiet time. And it includes things like Sabbath keeping and rest. It includes prayer, meditation, and reflection. It includes reading the Bible. It's anything that we do that, that helps us embrace that relationship with God. That's, that's what walking with Jesus is all about. Um, the up is developing a rhythm of com connecting with God throughout the week. Um, a lot of people that, that, I, that I meet, and maybe some of you can relate to this as well, that if I were to ask you to 
give a testimony on Sunday morning about what God was doing in your life. Um, that, that I've been asking people that a lot throughout the past years. We've, I've been looking for people that were willing to share testimonies. A lot of people have a really hard time actually answering that question and are not really all that connected with what God is doing in their life or not sure how they've been experiencing God or how, or how God has been leading them in their life. And I think that's a symptom of the up being weak in their life and not, not carving out enough time in our, in our schedules to really engage with God and to, to be connecting with God. Because once you start doing that, you immediately begin to realize that, that God is working in your life in different ways and inviting you into a deeper um, relationship with Him. So it's something that you can always ask yourself to sort of gauge where you're at. What is God doing in my life right now? And if you have a hard time answering that question, it could be that He is inviting you to prioritize that up and to, to spend more time, intentional time, seeking Him and praying um, and, and thinking about those things. Or maybe He's inviting you to, to spend time in worship. Um, in my, um, I'm leading a small discipleship group right now, and uh, I encourage all of us, we sort of have commit together to set aside 15 minutes a day for personal devotions. 15 minutes is not a lot of time. For some people, doing that is a, is a challenge, but it's a great first step. And I would encourage all of you as well, if, that, if, you, if it's not something you already have in your life, just to try to set aside 15 minutes, figure out a time that works well for you, that can be regular for you, whether it's early in the morning or in the evening, and spend a few minutes reading, a, reading maybe a chapter of the Bible and then praying in response to that. I think that's a great way to get started. Um, if you have more questions about sort of what a devotional life can look like, I'd be happy to, to talk more with you one-on-one as well. So that's what the, um, the up is about. Developing the up keeps the, the life of discipleship and the faith from being a set of chores and obligations and duties. Um, if there isn't a strong up connection, then, it, then really Christianity just becomes a religion, just becomes a culture, just becomes a, maybe rituals or a pattern of things you do. Um, the heart of the faith is relationship with God. And so that's where the up, that's where the up is developed and, and happens. Um, Jesus said that, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's in John. And um, the full life that Jesus offers us is gained as we're developing the up. Um, moving on to the in now. What does the in look like? And the Bible has what's known. The Bible is filled with, especially the New Testament, is filled with um, passages that describe what the life, the shared life among disciples should look like. And some people have called these the one another passages, and they'll ask you, you know, how are we doing at one anothering each other? And so if you've ever wondered what that expression means, I'm going to read you just a, a, a short list of passages that explain a little bit about what, what does this in look like? What exactly are our relationships together supposed to be looking like? So um, you can just clearly click through these as I read them, Mike. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. That's all from Romans 12. So those are all examples of what the end looks like. Next one, Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you 
in order to bring praise to God. So the discipleship community ought to be a place where there's radical acceptance, where we don't judge each other, but it's a place where we accept one another, a place where we can feel like we belong and are loved and cared for, um, not judged, not critiqued. From another one from Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So there's another, another aspect of the one anothering, teaching each other, um, encouraging each other, sometimes even rebuking each other, or calling each other out on stuff. If we see that um, a, a fellow brother or sister has a lifestyle choice or a pattern in their life that is not healthy or is not of God, as, as fellow disciples, we need to be able to talk honest and honestly and openly with each other. This is different from judging each other, um, judging is to make an evaluation of a person. That's different than saying if I, you know, if I'm in close relationship with you and I know you and I see that you have, you know, that you're succumbing to temptation, or I see that a, a certain way that you handle conflict is really is really unhealthy or immature. Um, for me to sort of bring that up and to talk about it with you in a loving way is not the same as judging. And if we don't, if we don't have the courage to be able to call each other out on stuff, then chances are we won't grow that much. And I know for, for myself that oftentimes I'm blind to my own my own issues. So I need somebody lovingly, somebody like my my wife or or one of you, sometimes to come and to say, Ben, you know, this was hurtful. Um, and I need to hear that. I need to know it. Otherwise, it just I, I won't pay attention to it. I won't know. I won't understand. So that's part of the one anothering, holding each other accountable. Um, next one. Multiple times it says, the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why do you think, and that's, uh, Paul says over and over, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why do you think that that's part of the one anothering in the New Testament? What's that about, greeting each other with a holy kiss? It's probably not a lip-to-lip kiss. It's probably a cheek kiss. Welcoming each other? Yeah. Loving each other? You know, New Yorkers, I was struck by this when I moved to the city, can be so warm. You know, I remember meeting some of my wife's colleagues one time, and... um, how you doing? It's kisses both cheeks. It's like I've never met this person, but there's a warmth there. There's a there's a um, a friendliness and a a way of saying to new people like, "Hey, you're you're you know you're her husband. We welcome you here. You're you know come have a beer with us. You're part of the group." Um, I was just struck by the warmth, partly because I was coming from Michigan, in which you don't you don't kiss in Michigan. It's like a lot. It's very hands off in Michigan handshakes and stuff like that. But in New York, it's a, it's a lot warmer. I think we can actually learn from that. Um, it seems to me that if New, if New York is a, is a place where people kiss each other and welcome each other and um, stuff like that, then shouldn't the church be a place where even more so um, people feel loved? There's affection that is openly shown towards brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I realize some of this, you know, some of this is different depending on what culture you're from. In some cultures a kiss is really not appropriate and would be weird and and kind of uh, uncomfortable. But the principle is the same principle. Whether we're kissing each other or not, whether we're hugging or not, or shaking hands, whatever it is, um, this is a place where that is inviting and we're welcoming each other into that space.
Another aspect of the one anothering um, from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. So we're admonishing one another, we're teaching each other, we're singing and worshiping together, we're drawing each other closer to God. That's really the heart of what Christian community is about. Another one, Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is one of my favorite ones because, you know, I get so bent out of shape when people skip out on church. So I want to, like, encourage people, show up in church. we got to encourage each other to keep on meeting together because it can be hard and people get busy and stuff like that. So let's talk finally about the out. What does the out look like? The gospel is a a story of a compassionate God who goes the distance through the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in order to reach out to people who are far away from him and to draw them close to himself, to make them a part of his family. And part of then being a part of God's family is continuing in that same mission of reaching out and sharing God's love with the world. Um, Discipleship ought to be moving us outward. Um, I'm going to read to you, next slide, this passage um, from uh, Matthew chapter 5, in which Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The New Testament calls the New Testament um, community, it calls the early Christians ambassadors. And they're sent out on behalf of God the way any ambassador or any diplomat would, comes from a home country is sent out to a foreign country in order to represent the interests of the foreign country there. So we too as disciples are God's ambassadors. We have a person that we've been sent from, God, who has commissioned us to be the bearers of his good news, the bearers of his gospel message, to bring that to the world. So there's an outward responsibility that we have as as people who are following Jesus to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world, to tell the world about God's love, not only through word, but also through deed, through service, um, through caring for um, people who are hurting. Um, the New Testament refers to this as, as you know, visiting the widow and the orphan, visiting the sick, visiting um, those who are in prison. Those are just a handful of examples from the New Testament. But the general idea is that wherever there's need, wherever there's hurt, wherever there's, um, wherever there's uh, distance or separation, the children of God are invited and called and equipped to go to those places and to bring the healing, renewing presence of God into those communities. Ultimately, um, this is very simple. We tend to make it very complicated when we talk about missions. I'm sure some of you have um, some different ideas about what, what evangelism and what mission is all about. But in one word, it's simple. It's about love. It's about loving people well. Loving people where they're at, loving people who need love. It's about receiving God's love and sharing it. Um, oftentimes, when people think about mission, they have scary, scary ideas of uh, 
going out on the street and accosting strangers and, ha- and throwing them a tract and, and uh, trying to get folks, you know, sharing your testimony with people and then trying to get them to, to make a conversion, make a decision for Christ. I actually think that that's really has nothing to, that's not evangelism at all. Um, and I think to think of it in that way is 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 not helpful because it it um, really denies the I think what is the basic truth, which is that it's more of a process. And what Jesus is inviting us into is not just you know sharing our sharing the gospel sort of in thirty seconds and expecting people to make a decision. But I think what he's asking us to do is to be willing to make relationships with people. To be willing to walk a lot alongside people, um, to to be to be the presence of God in the lives of people who don't yet know Him, um, is there a time and a place for that? I think there is. But let me ask you: if if a person, like let's say a Muslim person, was to to come to you on the street and they had a you know a, a, a spiel that they wanted to give you and they wanted to share your testimony, how how effective do you think that would be for you? Probably not that not not that effective, right? Um, it takes way more than just a a sharing of a testimony. It takes a, a, a life of um, a life of walking alongside of somebody and also a willingness to engage in friendship and connection with people. People more often change by belonging rather than by believing. Their beliefs change as they begin to identify with the community. So as we think about mission here at City Grace Church, what we always need to be aware of is that people most likely aren't going to make a decision for Christ because they heard a good set of arguments. They're going to make a decision of Christ when they experience God in the community and as they sense belonging and acceptance within the community. That's more how it happens. And so we've been talking City Grace. We've been trying to um, plant seeds for this idea of doing missional communities at City Grace. And missional communities, um, it's, it's really nothing new. It's just, a, I guess, a, a way for us to think about doing it more intentionally. And the idea behind a missional community is you get a group of, say, 10 to 20 people who have a shared passion um, for a certain neighborhood or a certain area of the city or maybe even a certain network within the city. And they, they get together and they're praying together, they're discipling one another, they're sharing their lives together. But, but fundamentally what makes a missional community a missional community is that there's a purpose and it's an outward purpose. So the missional community has as its goal to be praying and asking God, Lord, where is your love needed and where are you calling us to serve? And so Kathy actually is, is somebody from church who's been thinking about leading one and, and uh, she's going to be sharing in a couple weeks at church a little bit more about some of her plans and hopes. And that's something that we hope to do more of um, at City Grace is a way of being intentional about serving and loving is, is through missional communities. And the thing to remember about missional communities is that ultimately it's not a program of events, but what it is really is people trying to be intentional about being missional in their day-to-day lives, being willing to make friends with the barista, being willing to like love the obnoxious, really loud next-door neighbor, and, to, and just to be cognizant and aware that there are people around us everywhere who might be going through stuff, who could really use some love, who could really use some attention, um, who might be open to being in relationship with you, and that you would be able to, through that, to share God with them in in organic and natural ways. So that's really what that's about. Um, Folks at NYU have been doing this for a long time, and I think to great effect. 
Um, they've formed missional communities at NYU that have been focused on reaching certain schools within NYU. So I know, um, like at Stern, for example, there was a group of students that were part of WACF who, they were all part of Stern anyway, so Stern is part of their, the regular rhythm of their life, and they got together and said, how can we, how can we be missional at Stern? And so they formed a group to try to, um, to try to reach out to their fellow students at Stern and to love them and invite them to Bible studies and stuff like that. I think that's a great way to go, and we've seen, you know, the, doing the block party even is an example of how we can be missional. Um, I think the, the important thing is realizing that it's not about putting on one-time events, but it's about long-term investment in the community and developing relationships and stuff like that. Thanks for listening to the City Grace Summer Breakout Sessions. Be sure to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit www.citygraceny.com for more information.